Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hey everyone, if you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10 to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. And now to today's episode of Rao Pal Real Vision. When change comes, opportunity abounds. We're about to enter a period of the fastest pace of technological change in all human history, something we refer to as the exponential age. And Real Vision is going to be your guide to this incredible future. Hi there, everyone. I am really excited about the conversation that is about to unfold because sitting with me now on your screens is Rene Bruentrup, better known to his readers as Fallacy Alarm. I've been reading Rene for a while now. He fast became one of my favorite macro thinkers. I know he's one of Rao's favorite thinkers too. And we are here today to talk about a handful of companies and some of the key forces shaping the exponential age. So look, we'll, we'll probably talk a tiny bit about NVIDIA. We'll talk a tiny bit about Meta. But mainly what we're really here to talk to talk about is Tesla, because despite the fact that Tesla is just one of, as you well know, one of the most scrutinized, talked about, agonized over, controversial companies in the exponential age space, Rene has a really unique way of thinking about this company, a way that I think will really open your eyes to a new way of thinking about Tesla, a more fruitful way of understanding what it is, what it's doing, situating it in a broader picture. And look, ultimately, I think a way of thinking about this company that helps us get deeper on the exponential age itself and really what the exponential age is all about, what it is, what it means to us all. Rene. Welcome to Real Vision. How are you, sir? Thank you very much, David, and thank you for those kind words. I'm ha very happy to be here and looking forward to our conversation. Great. And we're just going to dive straight into Tesla. Um, before we do, just take a second or two to introduce yourself to the, to the visionaries out there, how you got to where you are now. Yeah, um, I write, as you said, uh, I write a newsletter called Fallacy Alarm, uh, in which I blend single stock research, macro research, and thematic research. Um, and I think many people focus on just one of those. Uh, for me, it's important to do all of that, to have a solid investment process, um, to keep a big picture, and also then to dive into the details where it's necessary. And um, the name Fallacy Alarm might um, need a bit of an explanation. Um, it's first and foremost a, a daily reminder to myself to be aware of how my emotions um, and beliefs of what I want to be true and how that can cloud my judgment. Um, because we live in the time where access to information is actually very easy and then figuring out which information matters, that's the hard part. 
And that makes then controlling your emotions the hardest part of investing. Um, yeah, that, that's where the name comes from. And um, before I did this, um, I worked for 15 years in various finance jobs, equity research, corporate finance consulting. Um, but now I'm, I'm doing this as my primary, um, yeah, how, how, what I do during my days. And I think it's fair to say that there's there's few companies and few uh, few technologists who prompt emotion on the scale of Tesla and Elon Musk. And we'll get into some of how we deal with that kind of emotional white noise much later on in the conversation. But let's start at the beginning. Tesla and what it is, you know, we you just have a fascinating model of Tesla as a company. And I want to start with that model. And then, of course, we'll get into your valuation models, your valuation forecast to 2030, which you wrote a long, brilliant piece about recently. It's almost become a cliche to say, you know, Tesla is not just a car company. Like We've all heard that a million times. You have a unique way of thinking about this company. So what is Tesla in your view? Yeah, so I think this this debate about whether it's a tech company or whether it's a car company, right? That's that's dominating people's discussions of the nature of this company. And I, I think that, I mean, of, of course, it, it shares uh, features of, of these types of companies, but I believe that discussion kind of misses the point of what Tesla is. So I view them um, as the first instance of a new type of a company. And for lack of a better word, I, I've called that a battery refiner. And what do I mean by that? Um, the decarbonization of our economy is the largest mega trend of our time. And the core of that is that we need to figure out a way to store energy outside of fossil fuels um, because we don't want those anymore for political reasons. And energy is central to any economic process. And we need to be able to store and, and we need to be able to use it on demand um, because otherwise all the windmills and all the solar panels that we have installed will become worthless. We cannot just run our factories when the wind blows, for example. And um, and so that's where the battery comes in. It's a very important energy storage mechanism. There are other ones as well. You can use hydro, for example, but that's not that scalable. And batteries just where will probably become one of the most important commodities of the coming decades. And um, it, it's obviously not something that you can dig out of the ground just like oil, but it, it needs to be manufactured. Um, but from an economic perspective, I think it's very much like oil. And um, semiconductors, by the way, they fit into this category as well. Um, and if you look at the microchip, for example, that was the, the commodity for the last uh, big um, innovation cycle that we had and still have. Um, it's not the commodity manufacturers that have captured the biggest value of the IT revolution. Um, it's actually the big tech companies and similar companies. Like they are sort of the semiconductor refiners. They wrap hardware and software products around the microchip and then they make great products for their customers and then capture that value for their shareholders. And in my opinion, the battery economy will play out similarly over the next, let's say, 10, 20 years. Um, and that means those companies that are able to use batteries and make great products from them and great differentiated products from them, they will capture the most value. And in my opinion, and, and that's debatable, but in my opinion, Tesla is in a prime position to be in the lead here. Um, because of their strategy, um, their market position, uh, their leadership, um, their workforce, um, and, and all these things, their, their brand, um, all these things set them up to be a really important player in this space. Um, for example, 
in 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 the US, they own more than half of the energy storage and or more than half of the EV market, and and so that's that shows how strong they will be in this um, in this um, paradigm. And then the business model of a battery refiner is to generate then profit per kilowatt hour deployed. Um, so, for example, if you look at a Model Y that may have like a 65 kilowatt hour battery and let's say Tesla generates $10,000 in gross profit with it, that's um, $150 of gross profit per vehicle. And the, the unit economics of the other products are actually quite similar. Like on a mega pack, they earn also like similar amounts, um, at least when it's fully rammed. And the ambition then is to deploy three terawatt hours annually by the end of this decade. And if you assume that they will um, keep the, the $150 per, kilo, per, per kilowatt hour, um, that gives you $450 billion in gross profit, apply 10 times multiple to that, and then you're at a $5 trillion valuation 10 times more than today. And um, that does not consider that the profit per kilowatt hour might actually increase over time because they will move from a unit sales business model to a fleet-based business model, and that monetizes the existing fleet with software, for example. So that's, in my view, like the Tesla bull case in a nutshell. Yeah, wow. And that is just end to end, you know, a distillation of of this unique, I think, model for understanding Tesla. And, uh, and, you know, there's a lot going on in that. And I want to I want to sort of rewind and dive into dive into some of this, because fundamentally, it, it strikes me that the heart of the model then is saying, look, Renewable energy storage is going to be the dominant mega trend in in your view across the coming decades, and then it becomes about who can wrap compelling products and services around renewable energy storage around batteries, right? Exactly. I think that's like the foundational layer of the entire Tesla story. Okay, and then to understand why Tesla is so well positioned to do that. I think you have to dive into another fascinating element of your thinking, which is which is around innovation platforms, because this is really going to help people understand why it is that you believe Tesla is positioned to win in this world, this world of batteries of renewable energy storage. So talk to us, because this isn't a phrase you know I'd heard I'd heard before. Talk to us about innovation platforms, what they are, and how that winds back around to Tesla and your model of Tesla. Um, yeah, so I, I did a piece on on, on innovation platforms uh, that mattered over the last 20 years last year. So that was, if you think about the personal computing revolution that started in the 80s, and then Microsoft and Intel captured most of that. Then you had the mobile revolution, and Apple kept, captured most of that. And, um, and then you had also simultaneously the cloud revolution, and Amazon captured a lot of that, and Microsoft as well. And I think what these... Um, what these situations share is at some point, there is an inflection point, point in um, technological development, um, mostly also when, let's say, two technologies that are complementary reach this point together. If you think, for example, about the, the um, mobile computing, like the display technology and the um, computing power that together enable these devices, and then it accelerates from there. And the interesting part about that is, um, you can make a lot of money, but you don't really need to be the first one, right? You could easily buy Apple in 2012 and still like five years after the iPhone was revealed and still be very successful with that investment. 
So you only need to get that right once. And then you just ride it for like 10, 20 years. And that actually creates most value in investing um, rather than, I mean, I do a lot of work on macro too, because for me, it's just important to sleep well at night and be comfortable with my, um, my portfolio. But um, these tactical decisions of, okay, when is there risk on and when is there risk off in the market, that actually is dwarfed by if there's one of these accelerations happening, then that just blows away all the other um, factors. Hey, everyone. We're going to take a quick pause and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Right. So, you know, mobile computing was an innovation platform. Personal computing was an innovation platform. You know, I know, you know, the cloud was an innovation platform. What are the big innovation platforms taking off now? And how does that relate to, you know, the, the model around Tesla? I mean, Kathy uh, Wood does a lot about that too, right? She has these five platforms. Um, honestly, some of that is a bit of hyperbole to me. For me, you can probably distill the five platforms that she has into just two. Um, which the first one is, we just talked about that, the battery. I think that's extremely important, like the electrification of everything um, that has will have huge implications. And then the other ones, I would just put that all together in just AI or just accelerated computing. Um, and that then, I think we'll talk about real world AI later too, just the, the liberation of artificial intelligence from cyberspace to real space. Um, and that technology will actually start, intelligent technology will actually start to manipulate not just bits and bytes, but also um, like the physical world around us. I think that's going to be huge. Um, it's questionable whether it's investable right here, right now in 2023, because it's a very, very early stage, but it will certainly have a huge impact over the next decades, in my opinion. And is, isn't real-world AI this... Talk to us about real-world real AI. Is, isn't that fundamental to your thinking around Tesla? Because this is a... I mean, just as it sounds, it's about bringing AI into the physical world, right? Yeah, if, if you think about the big tech companies today, let's say Amazon, um, Google, they, they have used intelligence um, online and they have tremendous success with that um, uh, for the shareholders, for their customers. But I think the next step should be that you, um, you use intelligence and you do something in the real world with it. And in my opinion, Tesla has the, um, the most ambitious real world AI project out there with like millions of cars on the road that collect the data, uh, with a data engine that they have on premise. Um, and I think what they're doing right now is, um, and you could actually see that in their AI day last year, um, when they showed what the robot sees, right? It, it was very similar to what the car sees, like how you um, identify objects around you um, and, and then you, you reason from there and, and um, you, you, don't, um, you don't tell the, uh, the machine, okay, there is, let's say, a door. If you see a handle, press down the handle. You just show how people use handles of doors and then it does it on its own at some point. And that's, that's basically how humans learn. And... Um, and I think when, when humans replicate nature, 
then magic happens, right? If you think about like an like an airplane, for example, when 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 humans do stuff that nature does, um, and and the learning of a machine today with these new approaches is very similar to how humans learn. Also, then magic happens, and um, and I think that's what we will see. And um, yeah, I'm very excited about that. Obviously, it will take a long time to play out, but um, if you're in it for the long term, that's in my opinion the most exciting application of um, AI. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just, I mean, it's absolutely fascinating and it just builds, it, it builds an incredibly, I think, nuanced and fruitful model of Tesla, I'm trying to put it together piece by piece as we go. You know, so you have the dominant mega trend over the coming decades being renewable energy storage, being batteries, right? And then, then it becomes about saying, okay, well, the winners are going to be those that can wrap compelling products around those batteries. And of course, you know, if we're talking about batteries and we're talking about energy, they're going to be, those products are going to be physical objects. They're going to be physical objects that use energy. And then that becomes about saying, well, how do you build those compelling physical objects? You bring in machine intelligence that allows those objects to, to be intelligent in a physical environment. So it almost feels like you're saying you have this in Tesla, you have this unique, almost powerful convergence of these two innovation platforms. On the one hand, the battery, on the other hand, real world AI. Is that a fair summary? Yeah, exactly. I think that's what that's exactly what fascinates and excites me most about that company, because the two mega trends that I view from a technology from a technological perspective, the two mega trends that, that matter most to me and that I'm most excited about, um, Tesla is has exposure to, to both of them. And, and I think that's just exciting to me. Um, yeah, and if, if you think about this, this big chat GPT moment that we had um, last year and over the last months, um, I, I'm not a technologist. I, I, I haven't studied these technologies in detail. But to me, like my understanding is the way these things work is uh, just like we humans. When I talk to you, right, I don't know the entire sentence that I will say in advance. I just speak one word at a time. And at the end of it, hopefully, a thought has been uttered that you can understand that that makes sense to you. And, um, and then it's crazy with such a simple statistical approach, how you can, like, how far you can get with that, right? If you ask ChatGPT a question and it gives you an answer and you're like, wow, like this is crazy that nobody like raised that before that it did this on its own and nobody knows how it did that. And uh, so that's the replication of human um, um, approach that, that I, I just mentioned. And I think that validates Tesla's autonomy approach um, like that, that's for yeah. me the biggest takeaway that uh, we don't know whether Tesla will, with their FSD approach, get to full self-driving. Like it may be that like they will always do these famous runs of the nines, right? They're 99.9% .9 there, they're 99.99% there, but there will never be, because there's an endless number of nines that you can add, they will never be at 100. Like that's the, that's the bare case, so to say, of, of the FSD approach right now, right? And the fact that how far are we getting with this ChatGPT, which is, by the way, like three years old. They had this technology in 2020 uh, already. They just released it to the broader public. So ChatGPT's uh, importance was not that it was so novel at, at that point when it was released. It was more about um, revealing to the broader public how far these, this approach of learning can go. And, and applying that to Tesla's FSD approach, in my opinion, makes it extremely likely that they will get somewhere with, with their approach. It's the exactly right approach to take. Right, right. It, yeah, because what people need to understand, and I think we're hugely agreed on this, is that 
is that the incredible AI moment we're seeing play out right now is still about, is still primarily about the movement of information, you know, the movement of bits. But with real world AI, as you call it, and I think it's a perfect description, we're going to see that that artificial intelligence, that machine intelligence transfer into the physical world. And that's what real world AI is all about. I mean, how big is that? That's, you know, that that's mind blowing. That's going to be colossal, right? I mean, that that as an innovation platform is just vast in terms of its potential because it transforms so much of the economy and so much of what what we do and what people's jobs are. Yeah, you can almost think about every economic process will become an app, right? Like you can you can download the app where somebody trained the robot to do waiting, like waitressing or like working in a warehouse or cleaning, right? And I, I think that's just dreaming. And it's, um, it, again, I, I'm not sure if that's 100% investable as a theme right now. But if you think very long term, I think that's where it's, it's going to be. So it's, it's sort of like an app store meets AWS on steroids, right? That's kind of what it will become. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And like, you know, circling this back around to Tesla. So we've got this transfer of AI into the real world. And that's an innovation platform that, that I, you know, I think we're agreed can be sort of, it can dwarf mobile computing. It can be far bigger than the, like the revolution we've seen in the digital space across the last, you know, 20, 30 years, you're going to see a revolution at that scale or greater play out in the physical world in the coming decades. Why is Tesla so well positioned to benefit from this real world AI mega trend? And I think we, you know, and I know you've written a ton about this, we need to use the word dojo here. Tell us about the, the role of the dojo supercomputer in all of this. Yeah, so, um... And maybe we can uh, show, to, to intro that, we can show one of the charts here. I think it was the last one that I sent over, the sixth one, um, where, where we, we look at how the dimensions of computing. Um, Our producers this. will whisk yeah. that onto the screen. There we go. Yeah. yeah. So um, basically, I, no, sorry, I read, pressed the wrong button here. Um, so I think over the last 10 years, it was very important to um, yeah, build cloud computing capacity because um, that is just um, yeah, saving a ton of money for companies operating um, yeah, digital infrastructure. And I think that will remain to be very important. But um, there will be a dedicated uh, um, field of computing that needs, needs on-premise computing um, because these new models, these LLM models and, and other deep learning um, applications, that requires um, an enormous amount of computing. So you need to actually optimize all the dimensions um, of a computing um, um, system. And uh, there are basically three dimensions. Um, and this is a screenshot from uh, one of the articles that I have written. Um, so basically it's, it's the compute, it's the latency, and it's the bandwidth. And most um, computers today, like the biggest supercomputers that are out there, they are measured by the compute. Like if you look at Wikipedia, supercomputers, they are measured by flops, like one exaflop, two exaflops, whatever. And, and But latency will also be important in bandwidth. And um, when I came up with this analogy to, make, I, again, I'm not a technologist, so I'm trying to like make sense out of this for me, right? So if you think about a restaurant, the compute is the number of chefs that you have in the kitchen. And uh, the latency is the serving time. And the bandwidth is the number of tables that you have. Um, so let's say you have a restaurant and you only, you only have, um, let's say you, you have um, a, a bunch of people that make um, um, 
like to make the burgers. And, and in order to maximize the revenue or the, the output of your restaurant, you need to not just have like a ton of um, chefs in the kitchen. You need to also have the waiters to bring that to the to the to the table, and you need to have the tables to actually um, to actually um, um, serve the people, right? And there are trade-offs here that you have to take between the total performance of a system and the flexibility. So, for example, let's say you would, you want to serve burgers, but you also want to be able to serve sushi. Then you need to have a sushi chef as well, um, right there. But if nobody orders uh, sushi, then your sushi chef will be idle, and the other um, chefs that you have, they will um, yeah have too much work on their plates. And uh, so I think like, in computing, it's it, they are very like it's obviously very simplified analogy, but I think it, there are simple similar principles at play. So um, computer systems need to be designed for a specific task, um, and that's where Dojo comes in. And the um, impressive part about Tesla for me is actually that. Um, they came up with this idea of, of, of doing the Dojo computer like two years ahead of this big uh, ChatGPT reveal, right? They realized we need to be we need to have um, expertise in this field, and I think this feeds into um, um, the, the the first question that you have: Why is Tesla um, positioned so well in this um, um, in, in in this um, aspect? Um, because they anticipate where trends go. And and then they do the things that are necessary in advance with a very great with a visionary leadership that is not afraid to take risks and disappoint in the short term. Um, another example is um, their um, battery energy product uh, storage project that they had in Australia uh, like eight years ago. Um, uh, people just criticized them or like they ridiculed them. You're just taking third-party batteries, you're putting them like, in a in a container and put them somewhere. It's not even your own technology, right? But today they have 50% market share in the US for grid-scale energy storage systems. It's huge. Like they're building these mega pack factories with like a return on investment of like 500% or 1,000%. If you look at what Lathrop, um, their new factory will um, like generate in, in revenues and, and profits and what it has cost. And and what is the what was the beginning of that? It was that they built this facility in Hornsdale there. Um, when this whole idea of having grid scale energy storage was very nascent, so they are always at the forefront of these very big trends, and that gives me comfort and optimism that they will continue to do so in the future as well. Hey everyone, we're going to take another quick break and hear a word from our partners, and then we'll be right back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, and they took a ton of flack for that for that energy story, and now it makes perfect sense. And like you say, it's striking that two years ago, you know, they were they were alive and took action on on, on just the need to own their own compute, right? And and now every now every, with with the compute power, you need to train these large language models and these other models. It, it just makes such sense, and and everyone wants to do that. But with Dojo. What it amounts to, right, is that they're just building the most competent, most compelling AI 
for real world AI, for what you're talking about, for, for, for machine vision, for the kind of intelligence you need to allow an object to navigate freely around the physical environment as we humans can do, you know, we take that ability for granted. Um, and they have a couple of hundred thousand cars rolling around right now with full self-drive, just feeding that computer, feeding Dojo data all the time. That's gonna, I mean, to me, it feels like that's gonna be the competitive advantage. They're going to have the most competent intelligence when it comes to real world AI. Is that the way you see it? Yeah, it, it would be a huge differentiating factor for sure, definitely. I'm, I'm very excited about that. Um, we'll have to see how, um, how quickly uh, their ambition is always um, far ahead of where they are in reality, right? So it's it's uh, it's always a, there's an execution risk there, um, but they actually they're absolutely going the right way um, in in my opinion. And um, uh, even if we won't have the famous robot taxis two years down the road, uh, I'm very optimistic that there will be com like there will be solutions that can be commercialized out of this effort, right? It, um, it, it's just it's the most ambitious. Um, real-world AI project out there in its totality, including the Dojo computer, and there will be something from it. And if, if, if Tesla has proven one thing over the past, let's say, 10 years, is that they can very well, on a shoestring budget, um, they can come up with, uh, with a solution that, that you can bring to market. Like people always, or often, people criticize them for like the tiny R&D budgets that they have. But if you look at their total spending since the company was founded and what they've created with it, it's it's a it's a like fantastic like proactivity on 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 their on the invested capital and and yeah that I think that this track record in my opinion it, it gives them credibility and um, it should be um, yeah considered. Yeah, and the ambition certainly sky high because they say mm -hmm. they want Dojo to be within the top five supercomputers in the world, like yesterday and then the, and then they want like 100x that and i think that's where the the kind of specialization you talked about comes in you know they they can build something that's far more power or they believe they can build something that's far more powerful than any current supercomputer for the very narrow domain that it's focused in which is you know machine vision ai to allow objects to navigate unstructured physical environments do you see dojo do you see that intelligence becoming a profit center itself you know, I mean, essentially a service that others can access. You, you've likened it a bit to, you know, what Amazon Web Services is to the is to the cloud. You know, um, you know, I used to be very excited about Tesla outsourcing various um, of their capabilities to other companies. Um, like Elon, for example, talks about um, like their their enterprise um, software. They did that all all themselves from scratch. For example, they don't have SAP or anything else like that um, or like selling the skateboards to other companies of their of their cars and um, and maybe even like dojo as a service and, and Elon has said that himself right but over time I've to be honest I've sobered up a little bit on this idea um, I mean they have recently they had some success with finally um, uh, sharing the supercharger network with other companies but still I I I have more and more the opinion that Tesla as a company is operating very unique and also like other companies have difficulties um, collaborating with Elon because of his personality and his style. So, I mean, I, I would be very excited if something like that happens, uh, but we're in the very early stage of this dojo. We will have to see um, where they get with that. I'm actually, I'm optimistic that 
like they want to hundred x the capacity of of this thing over the next the very short term future. And I actually think it's not that unreasonable to assume that there will be orders of magnitude of improvements there, um, given where supercomputers are headed. Like from like the academic solutions to like the commercial providers that will take the next stage stage of supercomputing. Um, so that it, it will be successful for Tesla. Whether it will be successful for other companies, I don't want to be carried away too much of this. If something like that happens, great. Um, yeah, but I think there are also a lot of obstacles in the way. Yeah, yeah, um, interesting. And you, t I mean, I, I want to jump to valuation and a bit more detail on that in just a second. But seeing as you touched on it just there, I mean, Elon is a, is just a controversial figure who who divides opinion. I think it's fair to say it would be putting it mildly. Um, what's your take on what? what is your take on Elon? Do you have a take on Elon personally? And how does it impact the way you think about the company? I mean, you know, let's be honest, some some people are wary of Tesla um, and you know, wary of of the investment philosophy you're putting forward. You know, it might, it might might all make sense to them in terms of the technologies and the thinking, but they feel that there's just this wild card in there, and then uh, the chance of of him screwing something up is 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 too great. Despite the sort of track record, right, to get to this point, which is clearly extremely impressive. What is your take on all of that? How do you deal with that? Um, it's it's difficult sometimes. There, like. Um, there are moments where I, um, it, it, like he buys the Bitcoin, uh, like six weeks after he has raised money, right? So basically he took my money as a shelter to buy Bitcoin, which I didn't agree to. And and then like he, he buys Twitter, that's all good. Um, but then he changes, like he, he just removes the company name and, and like the logo is different now, but it's only like a half ass change of the company name because many, like it hasn't never been announced or anything like that. And people still refer to it as Twitter. and. Sometimes I'm like, what are you doing there? Um, but then I, I see again, like what SpaceX is doing and how he's like ro landing rockets simultaneously like, and, and what he has done with Tesla before. And he, he said in 2013, he will do 500,000 cars in 2020. And he did it. And he said a year ago, so Model Y, when, when the Model Y was, um, when the first cars of Model Y were delivered or not even that, he said it will be the best selling vehicle in 2023. And he did it. Right. And and so on the big things where he really spends a lot of time on, he tends to deliver. And um, and I think he gets a lot of criticism for the stuff that he doesn't fulfill. But um, in general, I think he's immensely successful. Um, and also the way he thinks and, and when he talks about things, I, I I can resonate like a lot of that resonates with me. So I still view him as a key asset for Tesla. I, th I still think Tesla performs better with Elon than without. And I just trust that he will like the like if you think about Elon like the the, the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde analogy, and I still feel like the positive um, side of Elon will um, yeah, will outshine the 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 questionable one, so to say. So I'm I'm very excited about him. I think he's doing great things. He's is um, I'm I'm a fan of of his um, success and. Yeah. So for, for me again, like I, I, I'm happy that he is there, and he's is uh, he's a critical factor to why I'm so excited about the company. Yeah, I increasingly think of him as, you know, I mean, obviously an incredible tech visionary, and and also an incredible sort of attention engineer. I mean, he engineers attention around himself and his companies. It, it 
in highly effective ways. And mostly, and I think one of his great insights has been that almost always attention is beneficial. We live, we live in an economy and, and an environment now driven a lot by attention. Um, and he's drawn attention to himself and his companies in incredible ways. And that on the whole has benefited them. Um, and he's clearly amazing at building great teams, right? Because you don't do what, you know, you don't get anywhere near putting something together like Dojo without incredible, an incredible team working on that. Um, and, and he's clearly able to build and maintain those teams. Um, that's, that's the other thing I feel like people forget, you know, the narrative becomes very, very simplistic. People forget that, you know, he's, he's not their hands on building all this stuff single handedly. Part of what the man clearly is able to do, whether you like him or not, is put together a teams of amazing people that do execute. Um, okay, look, let's talk valuation. And I mean, we, 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 we distilled the whole model right at the beginning. Um, and you even mentioned valuation right at the beginning too. But a set, look, let, let's put it together step by step. You have batteries and renewable energy as this as this hugely powerful mega trend for the coming decades, pushed by everything. You know, we all know we need to move to renewable energy. Billions and billions of dollars of government funding behind it. Um, it's going to be absolutely vast, and that is an innovation platform of its own. Then it's about who can wrap compelling products around that megatrend, around batteries, essentially. Um, and to do that, you need AI that allows physical objects to be able to cope in a physical environment. And Tesla is, as we've outlined, almost uniquely well-placed. And that's partly to do with Dojo, to be that company. Um, you don't think anymore, which is really interesting to me, that Dojo becomes a service, that that becomes a profit center of its own. So how do you build to the valuation that you get to for 2030? You know, it becomes about, and we haven't even mentioned um, the Optimus humanoid robot yet. We will talk about a bit more about that in a minute. But how do you build the parts of that, that valuation? You know, I mean, I've read you talking about, you know, auto software, insurance, financing. Talk us through the 2030 valuation in a bit more detail. Yeah, I think the first step for me was to realize that um, current earnings or let's say 12 months forward earnings is not a good value indicator for Tesla. Um, it, it has never been great. There was a time last year maybe where it become, became relevant. But a company that's growing as fast as this company is and um, trading um, current or near-term success so much for long-term success um, will not have currently the earnings power that is representative for where they be in the, in the long term. Um, earnings for, for them will at some point move non-linearly. And if any kind of PE ratio or PG, PEC ratio will assume a linearity in that. So... I think that set up a major valuation bear trap this year, um, which I think we've seen that unfolding um, for the first half of this year, and we'll see how that goes moving forward. But I'm not worried at all. When I see like the stock trade that 70 times and I compare that to the S&P, that's not an argument for me that I consider relevant. So we need to have a long-term valuation view for this company. And we need to consider what this company might um, become because they will not stay in this current shape. And maybe this is a good moment to um, put up the chart five that I um, yeah. send it in. And this is a fundamental yeah. thought, isn't it? That, you know, yeah. 
how we how we assess Tesla now in terms of how much hardware is it shipping, how many cars is it shipping, is not going to be the way that we should think about the company, you know, five, 10 years out. So yeah, talk us through that. Yeah. So basically today, um, people look at this as a hardware company, right? So Tesla is about how much metal do they ship every quarter? And then how much money do they make with that? And then what's the margin? And then people use that to build out models and, and, and they think about what is the EV penetration in 2030? What's the market share? And, and what's the average selling price and all these things? And they build out um, a model for that. And, and I think that will remain to be relevant, but it will in the future be um, less relevant. So the company will shape, the, the shape of the company will shift over time. And that's actually not um, unusual. Like, so if you look at big tech companies, they operate also um, like fleet or user-based business models. Or you look at the car manufacturers, like they, they make most of their money with their financing arms and with their aftermarket business. So they monetize the fleet that's already out there. Um, so the two most important peer groups for Tesla, big tech and automotive, they, it's both very important for them to monetize the fleet and not just every vehicle that they sell. So it's natural that Tesla will go there too. And in this um, overview here, that's uh, from one of the articles that I've written in the past, I've tried to highlight, um, like uh, it's basically the services business. The services share of the revenues and profits will rise in the future. Like there will, there will be opportunities for them to monetize the fleet. For example, software. Um, even if robot taxis um, do not come to fruition in the near term, um, the um, uh, full self-driving uh, is, is already a very attractive business model for them. Like they, it generates like a billion dollar in revenues for them at very high um, margins. And, and most of that is, you cannot even see that in their financials. We can, later on, we can touch on that more on the other charts that I, I sent over. Um, but so they will monetize the fleet um, by selling software and then and, and software subscriptions. Um, they will be able to um, sell um, insurance, for example. Like they have the direct relationship with the end customer that insurance companies do not have. They have the information on the cars more than the legacy automakers have. Um, they have the better information on like EVs in general have usually quite high insurance premiums because actuaries that insurance companies don't have that much information on this yet because it's a very nascent product. And um, so if you think about a company, for example, like um, Progressive or Allstate, they spend 10% of their revenues every year just to acquire policies. And Tesla will not have that or will have much less of that because they have the, they, they're selling through an app. Like they can just add in, buy insurance from us in there and they have the customer. So uh, that, is, that will be important. Um, financing, uh, for, to operate a financing business, you need to have economies of scale, which Tesla didn't have. They have like 4 million vehicles on the road. Volkswagen has 100 million vehicles on the road. So that's important. And you need a credit rating, an investment grade credit rating, which Tesla didn't have for the longest time, but now they do. So it's natural to me that they will venture into car financing business. It's extremely profitable to sell loans to automotive customers. Um, some of these companies, make more money with the financing arms than with selling the vehicles. You can almost think about a car, uh, um, like a, 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 um, a factory as a, as a method to acquire loan customers because that's where you make the money. So that will be important as well. So there, there are very, um, there are a lot of aspects to Tesla's business 
where they can monetize the existing fleet far beyond what they're doing right now. And they will move into this direction. And um, yeah, it, it will also be relevant for the energy business as well, virtual power plants and so on, that's, but that's much more um, nascent. So didn't get too much into that for now. But these were just a few examples of the opportunities that they will have in the future to monetize the existing fleet will be very important. And in my Tesla 2030 scenario, uh, it's just one scenario that, that in, uh, 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 that's thinkable. It's not necessarily what it has to happen. Um, but I, I see them having like 20% of their profits from these services businesses um, seven years down the road. And it will be an important pillar to their long-term earnings growth story, in my opinion. Yeah, so it becomes less about, I mean, if I'm understanding this right, it becomes less about, you know, just how much hardware are you shipping? How many cars are you selling? To, to more about what is the revenue per car that you're drawing from services, the revenue per user, right? That you're that you're drawing from, you know, software updates, from car financing, from insurance. Um, it, exactly. It's a it's a services revenue model, right? Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. I, th I think that will yeah. that will definitely um, will, 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 the importance of that will grow in the future. That that's it, we will have to see how fast, but it will become an important part of the investment story. And that's what gets us to by twenty thirty this five trillion dollar valuation that you talked about right at the beginning. Yeah. So at the beginning, I did that very high level, right? Three terawatt hours times hundred fifty dollars um, is four hundred fifty billion gross profit times a multiple of ten on gross profit. Just to keep it very simple would be in the ballpark of four to five trillion. Um, in that model that you um, referred to in the article, I think I came up with a valuation of somewhere between three and four trillion. Um, in these long-term uh, projections, it's important that it's not like a price target that has to be hit like uh, with surgical precision. I just wanna see with some, like, in a bull case needs to be optimistic. If you are not optimistic about the company, you might as well just not buy it. So there needs to be optimism in there. But you need to find a balance between optimism and also being uh, prudent, right? You you want to have a margin of safety in there. The, the company you don't build an investment case based on uh, the assumption that the company will perform to perfection. So um, yeah, that, that that people can check that out. I think that that's one of the free articles that I have out there. Some of them are paid, some are free. This one I think is free. People can check it out and criticize it or give feedback and play with the assumptions themselves. Yeah, that's the idea. Yeah, and I'd absolutely encourage people to yeah to check it out. You know, if you Google Faladac, you'll find Rene Substat. You can read some of these articles for free that go deep on Tesla and deep on the models that that we're talking about. And uh, you know, most of your your assumptions are pretty conservative. You know, I've seen people building models of Tesla with with I have to be honest, sort of you know less conservative, somewhat more outlandish baseline assumptions. And you're still getting to kind of 5x um, valuation from now in, in, in 2030. Tesla find ways to wrap more profitable, even you know, more profit than you assume around the batteries and you get to higher valuations. I mean, it doesn't that doesn't seem to me in any way like an outlandish thought. You know, this of course there's no guarantee. Yeah, absolutely right. But I, I wanna, I don't want to assume that they will build twenty million vehicles in seven years. Um, that would, I think, that's their goal. But I think it would be fast, uh, fantastic if they did that. But 
I don't want to buy as a share here in 2023 based on the assumption that they will have such a ridiculous yeah, uh, delivery yeah. number by, by then, right? Like if that happens, yeah, right. Even though that's what Elon, yeah. uh, that's what Elon wants, and that's what yeah. he says. But no, I think it's, it's I think it's a, a a wise investment philosophy to not to not sort of uh, consider that gospel truth. Um, Okay, look, we've gone really deep on Tesla. I promised that we'd talk a little bit about some other key exponential age companies. And it's this real world AI model that I find, as well as the battery, the battery model I find so compelling. And then bringing in that real world AI model, I just find deeply compelling too, and really fruitful for other thinking about the exponential age. Because so much of my right age, often in Raoul's global macro investor, but elsewhere as well, is about saying to the reader, look, there's this deep merging going on of the of the digital and the physical, of the realm of information and the physical world, you know, bits and atoms. And it feels to me that that real world AI is, assen is essentially the same idea. You know, we're going to bring machine intelligence into the physical environment. Uh, and that's going to be a decade on decade mega trend that is just deeply, deeply powerful. It really helps us understand why Tesla is so important when it comes to the exponential age. But there's another company that it makes very important, and that's NVIDIA. Talk to us about your view of NVIDIA um, and what you think they're about and what you think they mean in, in the context of this broader picture. Yeah, so NVIDIA, yeah. I've, I've tried to look at them a couple of times over the past years. I find this a fascinating company. And I never really found an angle where I feel like I understood it better than maybe others that warrants then an investment for me um, because it's just a black box sometimes. And this it's a growth company for sure, um, but it's also supremely cyclical as a company. And so it's sometimes or often it's difficult to... Um, infer where the structural component of their growth rate is right now. And so that makes it very um, challenging to invest in there. And I think many people have been burned in both directions. Um, but it has become like, it has become a sentiment gauge for an entire theme that's currently um, um, dominating the investment world. So I feel like uh, obliged to look into this and form a view on that. So I, I wrote a bunch of articles on them. Um, I think what is clear, right, markets don't like uncertainty. So maybe that's why they are more cautious on companies that actually try to um, generate um, yeah, future growth with AI. Um, but, they, but, but markets know that like, if there are goals to find in the AI um, um, revolution, we don't know that yet, right? ChatGPT is a nice tool, but um, it's, it has yet to be proven how much it can actually disrupt the, econ the economy. But there will be many companies or most companies that will be looking for gold or digging for gold over the next years. So it's then natural that you bet on the companies selling the shovels for the gold rush, or even in this case, selling the blades and the shafts for the gold rush. And, and, and that, I think, is the reason why um, NVIDIA is um, performing so well out there. And so far, and, and that's the, the second reason why I'm, I'm looking at this company, it's... Um, it's a sentiment gauge on capital expenditures uh, on um, information technology, which is one of the most important corporate investment um, aspects out there in, during this time. And, and so if they do well, then that could even be an, uh, a recession or even like a not a recession indicator, right? 
So I, I look at that um, as well. And maybe we can uh, quickly put up the chart four here as well um, to uh, support that point that I will make. Um, um, yeah, yeah, and fundamental to yeah. this is that, you, you know, I mean, uh, NVIDIA's GPUs are being used to train these huge AI models, these large language models. If you want to build one of these models right now, you pretty much have to go to NVIDIA. I mean, and I think if, I think I read this in, in your newsletter. In fact, you know, you have Elon on a on an earnings call saying, yeah, like they're not going to be able to ship as GPUs quick enough. We're just going to be a huge customer. And the trouble for us is they have so many other huge customers too. You know, they they just can't make the stuff quick enough right now for us to for us to train enough AI. We desperately need compute. It just feels yeah. like NVIDIA. I mean, and, and that and that is what underpins your view of NVIDIA as look, they are the people making the shovels for this gold rush. Who and Tesla are participating in the gold rush. They're they're hunting for the gold. Are they going to find it? Are they not going to find it? We don't really know. The market doesn't really feel feel like it knows yet. But there's a great business to be had right now in just handing out those shovels. <laughs> exactly. And that comment from Elon was um, very um, comforting for NVIDIA shareholders, right? Because I think that's the key question. Yeah. Um, are they really that um, like su supply limited or is there at some point also a demand limit there? And maybe you can, yeah, we, we let, let's put on the chart again because I haven't talked about it yet. Um, it, it shows the... Um, the, the the share price of NVIDIA versus the fiscal year 2025 revenue consensus. And you can see that um, it was uh, so it was before um, uh, their latest earnings, um, be before the Q1 earnings actually, it was like people, uh, investors or analysts were expecting that they will generate maybe up to 40 billion in revenues um, next year. And now this number is at 70 billion. And uh, and this year alone, they will probably grow their net income by 20 billion. Um, that's and all S and P companies together generate uh, two trillion in net income. So that alone, like the net income jump this year from Nvidia, is a one percent earnings growth contribution at S and P level. So this is huge. This is like an enormous growth driver um, that is going on right there, and it validates. Um, Maybe it validates also the NVIDIA business case or the investment case, because you can see it now, like it, they're trading at um, second quarter annualized earnings per share of 40 times. So that's not outlandish anymore, right? It's not like the 200 times that were floating around earlier. So all of a sudden, the fundamentals are supporting NVIDIA's um, share price. But it also validates the entire AI theme, because all of a sudden, uh, you can see here that this is an actual growth driver, because it, it will reach far beyond NVIDIA's income statement. Their earn or their revenues are their customers' capital expenditures, and they will only do uh, these capex if they believe they can generate revenues with that and or save costs. So this will have multiple uh, effects of just NVIDIA's income statement in these other companies as well. Uh, growth always happens when companies invest or when general economies invest. So this is a very important theme here that shows that at this point in time, the AI theme is definitely a valid um, um, investment theme. We'll see how it plays out in the future, but this is way more than just illusion um, than like exuberance or anything like that.
because there's just huge spending going on behind it and and essentially yes. it feels to me your view of nvidia is i mean i know you're not you don't have a, a valuation view you're not an investor but you're seeing them as a gauge for the belief and the depth of this ai innovation platform that we're in the early stages of right now right absolutely yeah yeah, they, they, um, I think Jensen Wang, he mentioned that there is $1 trillion of uh, cloud computing infrastructure out there. It's a $250 billion every year, market every year. And that will go from CPUs to GPUs. And um, that's validated by companies like Tesla going a similar route. They're buying like huge clusters from NVIDIA and other companies as well. NVIDIA is the prime AI supplier there. Um, so yeah, this, this thing is real um, for now. Um, at least from the perspective of the investment into it and the and company's belief into that, that's absolutely real. And then it will be interesting to see what comes out of that in the next couple of years. Yeah. And then when, you know, when we think about this deep merging of the digital and the physical that I'm, I'm so convinced underpins so much of what we're calling the exponential age and underpins so much of what's about to happen and underpins our thinking about your thinking and our thinking about Tesla. Um, it's a really fruitful model for thinking about another company that I just think is so much misunderstood and, and probably underestimated right now, and that is Meta. Um, you've got some really interesting you know, frameworks when it comes to thinking about Meta. Tell us a bit about those and let's, let's dive in a little bit there. Yeah, so um, last year, I think there were two types of people buying uh, Meta. And the first of them was um, valuation driven. It's so cheap, the core business is performing well, you need to buy it, they just need to stop spending on the Metaverse. And the other part, the other uh, people were those saying, okay, Metaverse is the future, everything will become digital and, and we will just put on the glasses and just like leave the physical world and go into the digital world. And then I think mine is kind of a third approach to it. And I called that at some point Metaverse in reverse. Uh, because I think the, the the Meta Quest that they have is a fascinating device, but it's only the first step. Um, it, it will move from VR to AR, like bringing the, the digital world into the physical world. That's, in my opinion, where the, um, where, where the future growth is, not the other way around. Like we don't want to be away from the physical world. Like we, we don't, like now we communicate with the digital world with the phone, and then we're always staring down, right? We are like generation heads down. And, and I think this is like the most annoying part about using um, mobile devices. Um, you don't want to be like that. You want to you, you want to be generation heads up, right? I think that's what I, I called the article gen, from generation heads down to generation heads up because you, you want to include the digital uh, information and augment your, your, your physical reality with that. And that will be like 15 years ago, the iPhone was revealed. And I think we won't look at down for another 15 years. There will be another paradigm shift in, in like the communication between a human and, and the computer. And in my opinion, like a heads up, like an AR, AR glass, that, that will be um, where it's headed. And Meta did at that time and still does, the, they are investing most courageously into this space and um, yeah, with a great product. Um, Recently, like, uh, I always, um, my hypothesis was that Apple is maybe being um, left behind once again. Um, like they, they always had this dream about going into EVs and, and self-driving cars and so on, never did that. 
because they couldn't enter the market at some point anymore with a product that was orders of magnitude better than what was already out there. And, and they need to do that to preserve their brand. And uh, I think, and, and my my fear was they were doing the same thing now, not betting courageously enough on this. And Mark Zuckerberg will let them here as well. Um, but I must say, when they revealed their um, their new um, Apple glasses um, a couple of weeks ago, it was actually very impressive. Um, and mm. um, yeah, it, it's my it's ten times more expensive than than the Meta product, so it's maybe a little bit of an unfair um, comparison because Meta goes really for penetration at all costs, whereas Apple plays more like the premium um, segment. Um, but still, like they, they seem to be serious about this, and and this will develop more. These devices will become smaller, and and I think if you control, if you're the gatekeeper between the humans and the digital content, then you can monetize that. Just like Apple is now the gatekeeper, like companies have to pay them to be in the app store and so on. They need to follow their rules, and um, yeah, I think the AR glasses that will be a similar um, similar thing. So whoever controls that will also be generating a lot of, um, of revenue and earnings from that. And so I'm, I'm excited about Meta's path, but I'm also a bit concerned about that Apple is also here like a fierce competitor that they always are. And um, we'll have to see how Meta can compete with that. But definitely they are investing yeah. into that with the biggest, like they have at the moment, the biggest AI um, computer in the world. They are research, research super cluster that they have. It's the biggest that, that exists out there. So they they have also an on-premise supercomputing system, and they're, they're walking this path as well. So that's um, they will be a beneficiary if there's gold to find. Yeah, I think this is hugely powerful for understanding what the exponential age fundamentally is about. And I, you know, Meta just burned so badly across sort of 21, 22, 2021, 2022, when the kind of media hype bubble around the metaverse popped and everyone's like oh this is a load of shit and this was all you know it's a, it, it, it's meaningless it's a load of rubbish and of course there was a lot of hype around the metaverse in 2021 and i do take the view that probably the word itself is so damaged by hype and ridiculousness that it that it's going to be retired like you know no one talks about the information superhighway now or like surfing the web you know what i mean yeah. I, I i think we'll come to look or if we haven't already we'll come to to look back on that word and cringe a little bit, it will be very much of its time. But the underlying phenomenon, which is another dimension of this deep merging of information and the physical, I just think is so important for people to understand. You know, and on the one hand, you have a company like Tesla, essentially marrying physical objects with the world of information and doing that via intelligence, doing that via machine intelligence. So you're making physical objects intelligent. And then you have a company like Meta, and they're really at the forefront of this. And that's what I think makes them so important. Um, bringing, the, bringing the digital world into the physical. So exactly as you say, with augmented reality, you know, we're going to drop a digital layer over the physical environment. So information becomes part of the physical environment. And in the end, the boundaries between the two become kind of meaningless. Um, we're a long way from... You know, I think part of what makes that compelling is when you can just put on a pair of glasses that are that do that augmented reality glasses rather than a huge big headset that's like fiddly to put on and it still weighs too much. But Meta are spending more and doing more than anyone else to get to that world. 
uh, and that, and I think you agree, is what makes them so compelling. And exactly. Yeah. Then, yeah. Exactly. So they're head to head with because Apple are not going to take that line down, and you can see, uh, you know, clearly, and they've got the track record, and they've got the the technology, and they're building the technology to compete there. I think that's going to that's going to be an epic exponential age war for ownership of that space. Absolutely. And no one has a crystal ball as to how that one's going to turn out. It's going to it's going to be very very interesting to watch. And that that is what would make me wary as an investor of picking either one, because it's very hard to say who's going to win there. Um, look, this has been absolutely fascinating. I just want to circle back around to the big the big thesis that I feel has been at the heart of all of this. You know, real world AI. And just think quickly about where real world AI goes next across the next, you know, 18 months, two, two, three years. Um, talk to us a bit about how you see that evolving. I mean, the Optimus robot, right, is going to be a big part of Tesla's strategy going forward because it feels to me that the car is just the first step in this bigger project of real world AI for Tesla. Yeah, right. If you, um, I don't know if you saw their AI Day presentation last year. It was actually yeah. very encouraging that they um, using the same principles that they use for the cars. They used it for the robot as well. So we will have to see how quickly that can develop. But it's definitely the, a very exciting avenue that they're taking there, because what they're doing with their car is like it, it, it demonstrates that what they're doing with the car is generalized enough to apply to other AI applications. And I think that's the crucial part. And that's also what differentiates their approach from other companies' um, FSD approaches. When they have, like, they will have issues scaling their solutions when they rely on the the pre mapping, for example. Um, like, if you if you had to to um, like redevelop Google for every city that you want to use it in, I don't think they would have become that dominant of a search engine. Um, so, like this generalizable um, approach that they have used. That has been validated on AI Day, at least like if you believe what they're saying, right? But I think they wouldn't just flat out lie to you. It, 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 it was credible to me what they presented there. So it's very exciting to me. And also what's exciting to me is how much effort Elon is putting in there. Because usually when something does not come to fruition, he's usually after a while he's silent about that. But on this aspect, he's actually very vocal about it. And if he has his attention on something, usually something will come out of it. And um, yeah, it, it, like, I don't know when the first robots will um, be um, sold to customers. They will probably use them themselves first to see what they can do, right? It will take years. And if you look at previous um, product reveals that they've had, like the Semi and the Cybertruck and the new Roadster and so on, it, it can take a long time from the product reveal to actual like commercialization. But um, yeah. Um, it's definitely something very exciting to look forward to. Yeah, and I think that your point about it being generalizable is absolutely fundamental. And again, that helps explain some of the technical decisions that seemed very strange at the time. There was when they took LiDAR out of um, Tesla's um, and it now turns out that that looks pretty smart because you know, if you're just cameras, you can take a machine vision hardware and the same AI and put it in that Optimus robot. Um, and yeah, exactly as you say, you have a generalizable system across 
all kinds of objects that allows those objects, your car, robot, small robot, little robot dog, whatever it is, all of them to navigate the physical environment um, using this proprietary machine intelligence, this proprietary model that you've developed. And that to me is what makes Tesla, and I know to you too, just such a unique player in this space. And I do wonder if this is the only point of disagreement. I just, you know, if you build that, it feels to me that everyone else wants it. Everyone else wants to hire that, basically, hire that machine vision, hire that AI from you. There's a whole bunch of humanoid robots coming. There's, a, there's like, you know, 10, 20 players in that space. And their AI is not going to be half as competent as the as the model that Dojo is developing. They're going to knock on Tesla's door and say, can we run our hardware off your AI? Huge money to be made. Maybe, you know, and maybe the wise thing to say is no. You know, maybe the wise thing to say is no, but it, it's a potentially just a, a massive revenue stream. Yeah, I, mean, um, I, I don't disagree. With, I think I agree with that 100%. Um, I just, as an investor, I prefer not to rely on it. Um, right. I, I kind of want to. I want to. I want to support the decision of investing in the stock without that aspect, because if all these things come to fruition, I think the stock will be like, I don't know, ten, fifty, hundred times more valuable than today. And at that point, it doesn't even matter to me anymore, right? So, um, it's it's about like justifying it in a reasonable scenario, and and then be able to buy it. And if you get a free call option on something like that on top of that, that's great. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So you have that 5x, you know, model from today, 2035 trillion, a five trillion dollar company, but you're also buying a lottery ticket on something that is just utterly mind blowing. I mean, utterly mind blowing, which is an innovation platform, to use your phrase, that essentially dwarfs the scale of the internet, that transforms our relationship with the physical environment and you know, ends up with us having a robot in a, a humanoid robot in pretty much every household in the global north that can finally, you know, make dinner, make you a cup of tea, load the dishwasher, go outside and clean the car, um, and just get all that done. And just, I mean, if we thought that the phone changed our lives, that's the next, potentially the next deeply life-changing piece of technology coming. Um, and it may well be fueled by Tesla's model. But no guarantees on that, obviously. Yeah, the is um, uncertain. Yes, the future is uncertain. No one has a crystal ball. But look, this has been absolutely fascinating. And I really hope for people out there, look, it's changed the way you think about Tesla, um, but it's also given you deep frameworks, deep underlying models that help you understand the exponential age and what it is at heart, what its nature is at heart. Um, Rene, I just want to thank you so much for joining us. There is absolutely no doubt that, you know, we need to get you back. You've got deep thoughts and frameworks as well on a whole range of other stuff, synthetic biology, subjects that are, are you know, deep for the exponential age, but we didn't have time to get into today. Um, thanks so much for this conversation and just quickly remind people where they can find your work. Yeah, thank you much. Thank you, thank you so much, David. It was great to be here as well. Um, you can find my newsletter at uh, fallacyalarm.com. Perfect, fallacyalarm.com. Check it out. Rene, thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you. When change comes, opportunity abounds. We're about to enter a period of the fastest pace of technological change in all human history. 
something we refer to as the exponential age. And Real Vision is going to be your guide to this incredible future. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.